Hello and welcome to the season one finale of There Was an Idea, a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast. In this episode, I mean, I'm a 16-year-old kid from Queens. Much like phase three of the MCU itself, I'm wrapping up this season with a discussion of Spider-Man Far From Home. My friend Rich and I talked about reality, truth, deep fakes, technology, and more. I want to thank all of the listeners who have tuned in this season. I'll be back in a couple of weeks with season two, and I want your feedback. Please leave a review on Apple Podcasts letting me know what you've liked about the podcast so far and what you'd like more of. Also feel free to message me on Instagram or Twitter with any feedback. I promise I'll respond to every message. Thank you for all of your support and enjoy the episode. I am TK of New York and I am burdened with glorious purpose. I'm a high school teacher by day and I'm also a huge fan of pop culture. And this is There Was an Idea a Marvel Cinematic Universe podcast that finds itself at the place where those two things meet. Join me and some special guests as we explore the MCU through concepts in the humanities. Spoiler alert, one of those concepts is intertextuality, and as such, each episode of this podcast will likely contain spoilers for multiple films in the MCU. Thinkers, inquirers, and lovers of entertainment, assemble. With me today, I have my friend Rich Camarda. Rich, thank you for being here. Why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Uh, I'm Rich, and I'm a huge fan of the Marvel movies, and father of two little boys who are also huge fans of the Marvel <laughs> movies, so I've seen them many, 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 many times. <laughs> Yeah, I've had the Spider-Man Far From Home. <laughs> I've had the the pleasure of watching a couple of them with with you and the family and uh their their enthusiasm for these movies is uh awesome. Yeah, and they're they're big on discussing the movies especially as we're watching them, which is frustrating, but uh what you know. <laughs> <laughs> but they have some really great insights too. They do. They have the best insights, especially about dramatic music. They always know. Um, so in addition to watching the movies with the, with the kids a lot, what has kind of been your relationship or your journey with the Marvel Cinematic Universe? Or do you have a background um, being familiar with these characters through the comics or through other movies? Yeah, um, so the MCU, I, I, I suppose I started watching it early on. I, I saw the first Iron Man. I think actually Far From Home was the first and maybe only movie that I didn't actually see in the movie theaters. Um, but I'd been a big fan of, you know, uh, of Marvel going way back, uh, especially the X-Men, which are mm. part of the MCU. But uh, the, the cartoon was big when I was, you know, um, a young teen and um, I was big into those and Spider-Man, the animated series, yeah. and, uh, especially Batman. But um, that's a whole different ballgame. Oh, yeah, yeah. So I've, I've kind of I've kind of tracked the, the MCU movies from their outset. In terms of Spider-Man, is that was has he been a character who you have typically enjoyed is he uh, oh yeah 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 no i spider-man's great and i i mean i was really big into the the animated series in the yeah. 90s and you know different flavor different time i guess um the comics i kind of got into here and there not so much i i know about them uh mostly just reading my friends i never had a huge collection of my own um i've kind of come to them more since spider-man came out in the early 2000s you know the toby the toby yeah. movies were kind of a big part of my life it was <laughs> the first spider-man was uh, i guess unofficially my wife and i our first date is that right <laughs> um, yeah so <laughs> oh that's awesome um i didn't i didn't really care for the andrew Gar garfield ones um i didn't think they were bad i just didn't, didn't really stick out for me in any kind of meaningful way but sure. i really like the tom holland version I, I think he's great. Um, I do think they kind of missed an opportunity, especially after you know, uh, Miles Morales and Into the mm -hmm. Spider-Verse came out. I mean, Miles is just such a great character, and I, I think they could have really done something interesting with him or, or someone along those lines in the MCU, but uh, that's all right. Uh, you know, Into the Spider-Verse is going to have its own its own life, and I, I, that's probably a good thing, too. Um, it's me. It's amazing how how many times, and I, it's funny because some of this, a lot of it, I suppose, is just the licensing. Like Sony has yeah, to make a movie exactly. so many years to keep the license, but um, kind of like the you know Batman, it's 
it's amazing how many different times you can tell the same story from just a slightly different view and it's still kind of you know it's still something new it's still interesting and compelling and uh, something you can talk about absolutely yeah and that's definitely how i feel um as somebody who has you know watched pretty much every iteration of spider-man and of batman and you know the x-men and and even when these movies maybe don't fully satisfy what i was looking for i get enjoyment out of them and i want to see like newer versions of x-men coming out and i know there's you know with something like that there's going to be tons of conversations around that too like you know which actor portrayed this character better and this and that but i'm usually just pumped to to see it and see which directions they go in so this movie far from home uh my understanding just kind of anecdotally from people i've talked to and what i've seen online is that it's not quite as popular uh among fans as homecoming and it seems like there's a lot of mixed feelings out there um, for me personally, I really enjoy the movie. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, and I, to me, I think it's a very logical continuation of what began in Homecoming. I think the tone of Far From Home is similar and also necessarily addresses um, the growing up that Peter had to do as part of the events of Infinity War and Endgame. Um, what, what did you think about that? Yeah, you know, I think this is a movie that I've definitely appreciate it more on the rewatch um mm. it's it's such a necessary bridge if they're going to continue anything in the mcu after infinity war and endgame which if you're you know if you're into the movies and you know the story and all the uh you know the, the weaving of webs i guess yeah. um, between the movies it's you know i i re-watched infinity war not long ago and it was still like the second the second time through it was like really kind of emotional and raw feeling. And I'm like, man, I can't watch this with my kids yet. They're not old enough for this. Yeah. And then even Endgame is like kind of like, you know, not really cathartic, even though it's the end. So this, I think it's lightheartedness, even though it deals with some sneakily serious issues, is probably the right move. You know, it, sure. it needed some new context. It's like a new beginning. So it needed to have a young, young kind of feeling to it. And, it, it, and, you know, the kind of parallel storylines here, it's, it's kind of like a John Hughes movie. I mean, it, it's, yeah. if you take about, take out all the, the superhero stuff, it's still a pretty, pretty good young adult, you know, teenager movie, a coming of age movie. Yeah, definitely. I, I agree. And I enjoyed it a lot. I, I liked, it's got the John Hughes feel. It's also, you know, the soundtrack is, is great. And, and, uh, I love that the feel of like a, we're going on summer vacation movie. <laughs> so I kind of enjoyed that, um, about this one, Far From Home specifically. Far From Home was released a little over a year ago, um, July, 2019, which makes it the MCU's most recent release to date. Um, so even though Avengers Endgame really sort of feels like the epic finale of the infinity saga um far from home is technically the last movie in phase three of the mcu um and it, as you were saying it really kind of deals with that aftermath and i wanted to read this quote from kevin feige um, the president of marvel studios and he said as we were working on endgame we realized that the true end of the entire infinity saga the final film of phase three had to be spider-man far from home because, spoiler, we lose Tony Stark at the end of Endgame, and the relationship between Peter Parker and Tony Stark is so special over the five films that Tom Holland has portrayed Spider-Man in the MCU that we needed to see where his journey went, and see how does Spider-Man step out of the shadow of his mentor Tony Stark and become the true hero that he was always meant to be. It's for that reason that Endgame and Spider-Man Far From Home are essentially two pieces of the same story, and it's not over yet until Spider-Man Far From Home. So I thought that was an interesting bit, and I, I was curious about that, because um, with these MCU phases, sometimes they don't officially end the phase on the movie that you think would be the end of the phase. So right. I, I think that his, his explanation there is uh, it's, it's satisfactory to me. I think that makes sense. Um, I don't know. Do you agree? Do you think that was an effective decision to make this the, the end of this era? Yeah, it's, it is kind of an interesting take that that would be the end. I mean... The you know the end battle between Tony and um, and Thanos is so is so final and so epic and mm -hmm. I mean you know right down to spoiler alert the funeral at the end I mean it mm -hmm. seems like the natural end um, for a phase and I I think you know a lot of the movie is really kind of self aware 
the oh yeah <laughs> they're really they're really overt about um what the heck comes next i mean you know it's it's in the context of uh peter trying to figure out who he is but it kind of feels like the mcu is also trying to figure out what it is mm. you know what, what's phase uh, i guess we're in phase four now um you know what's the next stage of this whole thing so it, it's an interesting transition piece you know and I, and I think the next movie if i'm not mistaken is black widow which is a throwback so yeah uh, it really does you know black widow isn't going to answer the question any better of what comes next Exactly. And one might think that that would be, okay, this is the new beginning, but it's really not because it's going back into the history of a character who we've already seen. Um, You know, we've seen how her story plays out. So, yeah, so it's going to be definitely going to be interesting. And um, I agree that there's definitely a a self-awareness to this movie. And I'm sure we'll we'll talk about that more a little bit later. But um, right right from the very beginning of this movie, it kind of shows us what it's all about, right? In terms of that that bridge, how it's going to address where Peter is at now after both where we saw him in his solo movie last in Endgame and in Homecoming, and then what we saw in Endgame. The memorial video that the high school students have made for Tony Stark and the others. And, it's so uh, fantastic. <laughs> right? I think it's I think it's super effective. It's such a good way of it brings us back into okay, this is friendly neighborhood Peter. This is Peter right. in high school, right? And but these at the are same teenagers time, teenagers who have no concept of what just happened or what's going on and I mean, you know, really if you were part of the blip and you just kind of got blipped back to reality, you really have no idea what's been going on the last 5 years and the kind of the shared trauma. So it's got to be incredibly weird. I love even that they've got the, uh, you know, the Getty watermark on, yes. the, on the candle. <laughs> <laughs> I have that in my notes too. That cracked me up. And yeah, just like the, the image of Tony Stark with, you know, the missiles behind him and it's just like so right. poorly. The um, way he together. would not want to be remembered at that stage. In exactly. His life, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, so I, I think that scene works really effectively to get us into this and be like, okay, the tone's going to be a little bit lighter here. Um, but we are dealing in some, some way with the events of what happened. Um, and I think that was a pretty funny way to do it. It's even like, it says in memoriam in comic sans, (laughs) it's, it's pretty good. (laughs) And then of course too, I think right after that, it cuts to Peter talking about how he's got this plan and, you know, coming off of a movie like Endgame where like the plan was, you know, this big serious mission, you know, he's talking about, you know, trying to give a necklace to MJ, you know? (laughs) Um, So it kind of brings you back down. But while he's talking about this surrounded by, you know, kids' pictures of Iron Man, I mean, they're plastering the wall. Right. It's everywhere. Escape it. Exactly. Can't escape it. Yeah. The huge, um, Later on, there's like that huge mural of Iron Man and like his pictures in the airport and everything. The little um, candle memorials in the streets. It's yeah. pretty wild, actually. But I did like how they how they kind of, um, you know, they address the blip and that it, it's caused hardships, you know, in the kids video. Mm-hmm. But also in the you know, the homeless uh, or displaced persons meeting that he's uh, that um, they, they shoot to with uh, Peter and Aunt May. Yeah. You know, and I think the blip and the post blip world, I mean, you could spend and I have spent hours thinking about the disruption this would cause like people's worlds. So I think the only effective way to really from a storytelling perspective, the only effective way to move forward is to kind of all right, say that it happened, it's causing this crazy hardship. That's not the focus of the story. So we're going to put it out there that it is a thing and we're just gonna kind of move on from it because my goodness, I mean just the societal upheaval that would happen from five, you know, half the population um, disappearing for five years and then suddenly reappearing. Yeah. I mean, there's got to be theses re- written on this. I, I, I would love to write one. <laughs> it's insane. The whole concept is just insane of just trying to reintegrate people who you thought were dead for five years. So, yeah. And I, I definitely think, you know, most fans are, are kind of like, asking those questions as they're watching a movie like this and maybe you know some thoughts that you may have had after watching Endgame you know I, for you personally like were you satisfied with how they explained some of the things and how they dealt with it or do you wish that it had gone into it more I I think it's one of those things where it's so complex and so complicated and so you know outlandish but 
you got to accept that it's a superhero movie and they did the best explanation that I think you could possibly get, mm-hmm. you know, because you could, I mean, really, you could think about it for hours. Like, all right. So all the, you know, they show the people blipping out in the, uh, the marching band in the gym, they're all gone. Mm-hmm. And then they're suddenly all back exactly where they were when they blipped out, you know, when they come back. <laughs> so like, what if you're driving a car, do you blip back into the car or where, you know, into right. the street or yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're an airline pilot or you're flying somewhere oh and you blipped out when you're in the middle of the sky. I mean, like this, these are like, comic-con discussions that i'm sure. sure there will be panels on once you know we can have panels about this stuff and we can argue and i will get an absolute kick out of those arguments because i mean you could just go on forever with it <laughs> which is why i think it just needed to kind of be dr- addressed as they did head on you know everyone's back this is kind of you know the humorous take on it because the only way you're going to be able to address this is kind of with a humorous take on it yeah um you know i i, I love uh, especially Mr. Poor Mr. Harrington explaining that his wife pretended to blip out and, uh, you know, they held, <laughs> they held a funeral for her and everything. And, uh, she just ran away with, you know, I, I, know. I forget who it was, the pool boy or something. I know. Or no, it was a member of her, was her, her outdoor group. <laughs> it's, so, it's so terrible. You have to laugh. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like, right. And that's the kind of thing too, like I, how many people would have maybe gone, gone missing who, you know, just used it as an excuse to start it over, you know, in a new life. Um, and it, I was actually thinking earlier today too about Mysterio and, you know, we'll talk a little bit more about him later, but for him, this, um, you know, character and persona that he, it seems that he fully creates the name Quentin Beck, um, and the story that he creates. And obviously he's got, you know, layers and layers of story and, and twisted, um, reality that he's working with, but was he a person who would have been gone for that five years? And so maybe, or, or maybe he wasn't gone for that five years or like, was he somebody who used this blip as an excuse to kind of like start, uh, you know, this master plan of manipulation? Oh uh, yeah, that's really interesting. I yeah, don't know. right. Um, obviously, right. has he been plotting for the past five years, or did he, did he just come back? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, and there's right. no textual evidence toward any of that, but um, but you know, you huh. could certainly spend some time oh, thinking yeah. about it. Absolutely. Yeah, but before before we talk a little bit more about Mysterio, I think there there are a few threads here in Far From Home that that I I want to get your thoughts on. So. If we're looking at at Peter first and his kind of, you know, ongoing struggle between, you know, the two worlds in which he operates, um, there you you see a continuation of of what he was going through in Homecoming, but you also see some contrast because Peter, um, in Homecoming, remember he he is um, waiting by his phone, right, for for them to call, for the Avengers to call, and for him to like be able to go into action. And then by the end of Homecoming, he says, no, I'm, I'm not going to be an Avenger right yet, right now. Um, but then, of course, in Infinity War and Endgame, he's wrapped up in all of it. But And now we see him withdrawn again, right? That, you know, oh, you know, if, if it was really impure, if it was really important, Fury would call somebody else, not me. Um, and he's, um, it almost seems like maybe he was realizing that he was out of his league fighting alongside the Avengers or, you know, he, he's um, fielding these questions at the, at Aunt May's charity event. And, you know, they're asking him, are you a head Avenger? And um, he's asking them back, like, you know, do you have any neighborhood questions? So he's really kind of struggling with this. And um, I was wondering what, what you were making of that. I, I, I think he's an abnormally well-adjusted teenager. I mean, <laughs> who, he's got to be, I mean. I, even even after Infinity War, you know, Thor is clearly clearly suffering PTSD. Mm-hmm. Um, there's there's uh, evidence of Tony's trauma throughout the Iron Man series and the other movies. Oh yeah, um, you don't see it so much with Cap, but I, I guess you could. I guess Captain America has his own demons that he's fighting. And here you have a 16 year old kid who's been to space more times than he's been to Europe. Um, <laughs> suddenly, you know, ahead of the planetary defense league, which I mean, who could blame him for not wanting to deal with this stuff and just wanting to, you know, profess his love for his crush. Right. Um, but it is pretty remarkable how he's, you know, it's so, it's so drastic. His wanting to be part of the team, wanting to be the hero, you know, calling happy every five minutes to, 
to then be, you know, ghosting Nick Fury of all, of all people, right. the one person you can't ghost, you know? <laughs> right. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it is pretty crazy. Um, I'm, you know, he didn't even want to bring his suit. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, he's not bringing the Spider-Man suit. He's, he's leaving at home. He's going on vacation. And I mean, after fighting Thanos, doesn't Spider-Man and everybody else deserve a vacation? Yeah, for sure. He even says, well, he says, um, I didn't think I would have to save the world this summer. And and right. then, of course, right after that, he says, oh, I know that makes me sound like a jerk. Like he definitely has, as you said, he's very well adjusted. Like he has this very strong moral compass of like, I want to look at when he has the Edith glasses later and he like wants to look at MJ's texts. Right. But he's like, oh, no, that's wrong. And like, he says to Mysterio, what like, a crazy thing. But yeah. I mean, we, I, you know, I mean, he, he also did a droid uh, drone strike on, <laughs> on yes. his rival but I, it wasn't intentional well that was an accident so. <laughs> yeah well and it reminds me too when i um talked about homecoming with uh megan and anthony a few episodes ago and megan made a comment and i'm, I'm probably going to kind of butcher it here but it was something about how like peter kind of fumbles his way into doing the right thing that he like he really wants to do the right thing and he's kind of impulsive and oftentimes what he she said it better than what i'm saying right now but like what he does is actually the wrong thing but then it ends up being okay because he fixes it later um and i think that that that's kind of very typical of of the peter that we see in these mcu movies um that you know he's he's trying so hard to do this right thing and of course now there's drones attacking the school bus you know the mistakes of a teenager trying to do the right thing exactly Yeah. yeah Oh, I did like uh, when he's talking with with Fury or who who we think is Fury at the time. Um, and we'll talk about that too. But um, when he says, you know, that he's talking about big time, huge superhero kind of stuff, and I'm friendly neighborhood, and and Fury's response is, "Bitch, please, you've been to space." <laughs> that was pretty good. That was pretty good. <laughs> um, so many hints, though, that that is not Fury. Yeah. Um, yes. None more so. You know call Captain Marvel. Don't you invoke her name? I mean, Fury loves Captain Marvel, but I think Talos probably loves her more. I totally agree. That's definitely like a little hint. And then there's also one where he says um, something about how... Well, there's an earlier scene where he says, I thought the Kree sleeper cells were still a secret. Is it something that Fury would know about? It's just, I think it's interesting. Yeah, that's. I hadn't even thought of that one. I was thinking of the, where he says something about like, Oh, he's not from your world. It's like really sh- like a short line, but it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Instead of saying like you know from here, our, our world. world, or yeah. Oh yeah. Um. So I thought that was pretty interesting too. Um, Six point six. So I guess kind of while we're talking about that, um, I don't know what your familiarity was with the character of Mysterio or your spoilers going into this movie, but did you know that he was the villain yes okay yeah yeah mysterio is an old and epic um villain in the spider-man universe his 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 outfit is definitely and it's interesting because his outfit is so outlandish oh my god yes. um, but it is totally in you know you know an amalgamation of thor and iron man and dr strange it's just mm-hmm. like he just took took all the superheroes he could think of and just kind of mashed them into one. And then he's got this crazy fishbowl that is 1000% directly from the comic books. And in the comic books, I mean, he, he goes, he goes way back and he's, he's an epic villain. His story is different, but, um, and his tech is different, but not much. So, I mean, you know, in the comic books, even in the animated series, you know, he, you know, I remember he had a plaid suit, which they toned down a bit, which I think was probably a smart thing. <laughs> but he's like a Hollywood stuntman who's lost his job and is using all this Hollywood like special effects stuff to, yes. okay. to spoof the world, especially Spider-Man. I mean, there's some pretty, you know, it, it, you know the mirror scene, which you know, we can talk about, um, that's not far from the comic books. And in fact, you know, I, like, like I said, it's, there are people out there who definitely know comics much better than I do, but you know, uh, just kind of prepping for this, I thought I'd look into some of the Easter eggs. And every scene in this movie is a Spider-Man Easter egg. 
everything. It anytime you can read a license plate, it's a, it's a throwback to, you know, some comic book team oh, up cool. episode six, you know, June of 1963 or whatever crazy thing sure. it is. The street names are all the writers. I mean, it it is an ode to the comic books through and through. But yeah, Mysterio, I definitely, I, I remember when the trailer came out and it was like, oh, it's going to be interesting to see how they spin this because he's definitely the bad guy. Right. <laughs> and I, I always took his outlandish comic to be, you know, let's test the limits of what people are going to believe because it's totally nonsense. Right. I, I mean, it's so over the top over the top enough i guess in the place where you know in a world where you know interdimensional wormholes are opened up and aliens attack new york and there's guys swinging hammers from other planets and i don't know it, maybe it doesn't seem that crazy yeah exactly and and you know he even says toward the end right nowadays people believe anything and and i think we've we see that throughout this movie in in a few different ways even like i'm thinking about the the night monkey and how quickly people are just like oh yeah yeah the night monkey yeah yeah i saw him on the news yeah right like and so it's like i mean you know if you have thor and you have all of these other gods and heroes and you know that you have the blip and then people come back from the dead seemingly like you know people's uh threshold for um what they believe would certainly be be different in that reality i think but um yeah i will be honest i try to stay before these movies come out i try to stay away from fan speculation and spoilers and even trailers nowadays because not to get off on too much of a tangent but i just think like in general trailers they tell the whole movie it's crazy yeah Yeah, i i I agree i I close my eyes and plug my ears (laughs) there try to show up 20 minutes late get the reserve seating yeah you gotta avoid them at all costs so yeah so going into this i didn't know who that character was but i knew something was wrong because it's like they were trying so hard to sell you, you know, this this character's uh, sad backstory. And then they right. talked about the multiverse. And I was like, well, they're not really going to go into the multiverse with this. Like, that was into the Spider-Verse's deal. They're going to do something different here. <laughs> right, and then right. I thought for, I'll be honest, I thought for a moment, I was like, well, maybe, maybe this is a good guy who, but he's obviously not going to become part of the Avengers. I was like, maybe he's going to die. Right. Like maybe right. if he's right. somebody who's fighting on their side, um, he's going to be dead by the end of this movie. And he's, that's going to be part of what the lesson Peter learns in this. Um, but I was not surprised at all when it didn't go in that direction um, and that he was, in fact, uh, our villain here because they didn't do enough to establish the elementals either. And then afterward, I did um, read up a little bit on more of the comic history of the elementals and of. Um, oh, and the elementals mm-hmm. who are definitely a throwback to you. You know, Hydro Man and Molten Man and the yeah. other epic Spider-Man villains. I have a theory too that Jake Gyllenhaal is not that far off from uh, Mysterio, Quentin <laughs> Beck. I mean, I don't know the guy, and I shouldn't speak ill of him, but I just kind of, <laughs> you know, that earnestness to get people to like you, but maybe you're not that likable. I, I kind yeah. of feel like it's probably something he's. I don't know. Well, <laughs> maybe I, that's who he really is. Who knows? But I also I kind of like that bit about in the comics that he was this Hollywood person who was using Hollywood effects because there is something to that, right? That like the persona that you're seeing of Hollywood actors and personalities is something that is obviously you know put on for the appearance, right, right. and 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 we never actually know to what extent is that you know really that person. So I think that's interesting. There Go is ahead. some irony that the. Uh, you know, the scrolls are taken in by this whole charade. I, I, mm-hmm. I just kind of love that. I mean, cause mm-hmm. they're, they're the ul- ultimate tricksters, you know, that's their whole thing is taking on others, personas and convincing people. And here they are, you know, you know hook bait and sinker. They're taken in by this whole charade. Yeah. Isn't that kind of great? Like, I, I think that's, that's part of, it's these things that we're talking about right now that I think make me really enjoy this movie and stick up for this movie when people are like, oh, it's like not quite as good. Because I really think that's that's great um, how that works, because ironically, right, you ha- you have Talos and his wife who are, you know, taking on 
Fury and Maria Hill in this movie. They're taking on their their visage their visages. Um, so and she's su- suspicious from the outset. I mean, I think yeah. that's like the first line. Like people believe anything when they're stressed. Well, yeah. <laughs> coming from a scroll, that's that's yeah. funny. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's only funny in the re- you know in the rewatch because of course you don't know she's in scroll, but right. It's really funny the second time around. <laughs> yeah, and then like to think that. You know, yeah, after you go through it and you're watching it again and you're thinking like, well, the real Nick Fury, ironically, probably wouldn't have fallen for this charade. Like, I don't know. Right. Um, I, yeah, I, you kind of think not. Yeah, I think I think not. I I mean, I don't know. He's, you know, we saw in Winter Soldier how good he is at deception. Yeah, I don't know. Did you? So, okay, I'm curious. Well, I'm curious a couple of things. Watching it through the first time, did you think that Nick Fury was just like, poorly written in this movie or were you like what's going on like um was there anything that you were like this doesn't seem in character for him i did i i I think i bought the whole um because he's he got blipped so he's been gone Mm. for five years whatever kind of infrastructure that he might have had i don't i can't imagine he just plunked right back into you know whatever version of shield is still left right and they never really talk about that but i i I bought that he had, you know, maybe he didn't have the same insight that he did previously because of his, you know, his tentacles in the world or whatever they are, uh, were gone for a good chunk of change. I mean, five years is a long time to just be absent completely. Mm -hmm. And then just to come back, it was pretty amazing that he was able to pick up at all. So I, I thought what was, interesting was not that he didn't seem to know what was going on but how he handled a young peter parker because even with tony he was pretty sympathetic Mm. you know i mean nick fury has always been a pretty firm guy but he seems to know when to play the soft hand when he needs to Mm -hmm. you know i think he always kind of like uh was pretty adept at handling tony's ego and getting him to do things that he wanted um you know, I think it's ultimately an act of compassion that he, you know, and I, I hope we see more of this in the, in the Black Widow movie, but to bring Black Widow into S.H.I.E.L.D. is right. pretty remarkable. Um, you know, to know that he should keep his distance with Banner, he's always been pretty, pretty insightful about these things. So to, to be kind of bullying a teenager who, you know, arguably just saved the world and is probably the only chance to save him again. Um it it seemed out of character. Yeah. It definitely seemed out of character. Yeah, no, I agree completely. Like those scenes really um put me off. And they're they're like hard to watch even I mean, now you know that it was actually Talos's version of, of what he thought Nick Fury would say. Right, which but is spot on because I mean if you're gonna <laughs> act like Nick Fury, you're gonna be a total badass, right? Exactly. Right. Peter, I need your help, right? You're gonna right. you're gonna dart his best friend (laughs) exactly right but it's it's so um yeah it's so jarring to see some of those scenes where he is he's straight up bullying him and um you know saying that um stark chose you and he made you an avenger and um maybe he was wrong was he you know like and and telling him he has a choice when really he's basically bullying him and saying he doesn't have a choice it's very much um yeah, like you said, there. I think arguments could be made that there were times in which Tony didn't necessarily treat Peter like a teenager in terms of giving him some of this uh, <laughs> this deadly oh technology. My God. It's an, <laughs> um, it, oh, it's so crazy, <laughs> and I you you need this. This needs to be discussed when you discuss the Sarkovia Accord someday. Yeah, because I mean the people who have put the Sarkovia Accords in place have got to have something to say about Peter Parker having, <laughs> you know, ultimate access oh to the, the Stark global defense initiative or whatever they have, they call it. I mean, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. He's literally giving him all of the, these tools and tech that are capable of the keys to the nuclear codes. That's oh basically what he gets. Yeah. It, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Who I, is anyone? Is anyone worthy of that? Is anyone worthy of that period? I mean, Peter or not? Yeah. Like, who would you trust with that kind of that kind of tech? 
you know, the ability to crack into anyone's phone or read any text or email or, and then to unilaterally, you know, initiate a drone strike on anybody, apparently. Yeah, so easily. So easily. I mean, just with the go, that seems like a crazy thing to let um, a 16-year-old have. Which yeah. is why it's kind of funny. <laughs> well, it's, exactly. <laughs> you know, it's the only way you can address it, right? From a storytelling perspective is that you have to address this with humor. Because if you don't address it with humor, if you try to be serious about this, this insane, you know, ability to spy on anybody anywhere at any time and then kill them unilaterally um, is pretty horrifying. I mean, you could make this a dystopian, you know, YA book pretty quickly where mm-hmm. some 16 year old, you know, MJ rebuffs him and he de- ends up, de- you know, killing Brad and then taking over the world. I don't know. It's, it's a, there's a lot of weird, different ways this can go. Yeah. So I think humor is the only, you know, you gotta, you gotta approach it with humor because the alternative is horror. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And, 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 you know, you also suspend your disbelief to say, okay, he's, yeah, he's a impulsive teen, but he's also Peter Parker, right? Like he also yeah, has, I mean, yeah. And he's Spider-Man. He has this, this moral compass and he knows what's right or wrong. And, and if he I mean, does right. mess up and he accidentally calls the drones in, he's going to be able to figure it out and fix it. Right. Um, and they never, you know, you, you mentioned this during the homecoming episode, they never say it, mm-hmm. but his whole thing is with great response, uh, great power becomes great responsibility. And I mean, yeah. what could be a, greater power than this absolutely yeah and that would age anybody i think that amount of responsibility to like (laughs) have that in your pocket um and make sure that it doesn't fall into the wrong hands or that it isn't even accidentally used um for the wrong reasons Um, and isn't and that's part of mysterio's gripe right right i mean that he was given this power you know a kid was given this this power, not us, not the Defense Department, you know, whoever, not the military or, you know, the government or I don't know. Yeah. Um, I don't know who you trust to have it more, but, uh, you know, it, it was given to a kid. Yeah. And that's, well, you know, and it's funny, too, because it, when he's saying this, you're like, oh, God, he's such a bad guy. Quentin <laughs> Beck, what a jerk. Of course, Peter should have access to the global you know the start global defense network of course he should he's spider-man come on but no if you really think when you think about it kind of has a point yeah (laughs) yeah no i was just gonna say i think that is one of the points that that mysterio does have and i think it's interesting too earlier on in the movie you know before the the scene in the bar where (laughs) Uh, Jake Gyllenhaal really gets super flamboyant and is like, you know, now I am the, you know, twirling my mustache and like, here's my evil plan. Um, Playing himself, right? <laughs> I, I don't mean, know. I just, I, I suspect Gyllenhaal's people are going to come after us. <laughs> <laughs> Let them come. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> um, but before that. Even some of the conversations that he has with Peter, you're kind of like, okay, he's the only adult here who's talking to Peter in a way that's kind of kind and understanding to say like, yeah, you know, it would be a lot of pressure on you to like have to feel like you need to live up to all of this, right? And so you're kind of like, all right, like he knows what he's talking about. And of course, turns out he's being manipulative. Um, But I think think it's fair to explore where some of his... uh, where some of his points are and where some of his motives um, come from a place that you can, um, you know, sympathize with. Um, Although of course, you know, pretty, pretty quickly it's taken to such an extreme um, that like, for example, right. One of the points that he makes in that monologue um, at the bar um, he makes the point about how um, the guy William was belittled <laughs> by Obadiah Stane. You can see that clip from Iron Man again, which I love when he's like yelling at him. Yeah. He's like, Tony Stark made this in a cave. And um, I'm sorry, but I'm not Tony Stark. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of grievance there. Yeah. And so I'm feeling that when I'm like, I'm like, okay, like it makes sense that these people would have grievances. And like, I'm with Mysterio in that moment of like, yeah, it would really be you know these disgruntled former 
Tony Stark employees. Like, you guys, I feel for you. Um, but then, of course, you see a few scenes later that Mysterio treats William and those other characters in much the same way, right? Like, as soon as, like, right. he, you know, They're, he's threatening them and bullying them, too. He's preying on their grievances and manipulating them just as much. And, and even more so once he has, like, you know, the power of the of Edith. And But it is pretty... It is pretty wild how, and maybe it speaks to the times where, you know, you have this, these grievances, which sure. I mean, I guess you could be upset. You got yelled at at work, but you're an adult man. I mean, I mean, you're an adult period. Shouldn't you be able to handle criticism? (laughs) Okay. You're not a genius. Um, A guy above you yelled at you. Right. I don't know that that's a reason to, you know, betray Peter Parker and, try to make your millions off of, you know, you know deep faking the world, you know, destruction, global, you know, global destruction. I mean, they're, they're causing some serious mayhem and maybe oh, killing yeah. people though, you know, it's, you know, they don't, they don't show anything like that, but um, there were enough buildings destroyed in Venice and Prague and wherever that you got to believe that people are being hurt. So it is interesting how he preys on their kind of their grievances, but you know, I, you know, people have to have their own agency and make their own decisions and, these people decided to go along with it. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it reminds me too of conversations I've had with um, coworkers of, of mine, you know, being teachers and kind of talking about how like, we, like one of the things that we've focused on in terms of like trying to teach young kids how to be leaders and, and um, how to aspire to for greatness and all of these things. And it's like almost similar, right? Like if there's too much importance placed on being the leader, being the person in charge, being the face of whatever it is you do. Well, are we sending the wrong message that like it's not okay to be a person who like works on something but is never particularly glorified for it, right? Like like you could be a person who works on a project who's not the leader, but you know, the work you do is still valuable. Like you don't you know what I'm trying to say? Like, of course, you shouldn't be belittled. Like, I'm not trying to make an argument to say people should be belittled and this and that. No, but... right. No, I don't think you're making that argument. I think what you're saying, if I'm hearing you right, is that um, our our goal should be collaboration, right? Yeah. You know, leadership is great. It's somebody needs to lead. People need leadership at times, but it's also important to be part of the team and, you know, uh, play your part and do your job and right because you need both. Exactly. It shouldn't right. be one or the other. Right. And it, and and my concern would be if we place too much emphasis, right? So the world that Mysterio is living in has placed too much emphasis on like the people who are leading this charge, like the people who are the superheroes, like he says lasers and capes and this and that. And so these people feel like they're not special if they don't have that. And isn't that such a shame? And taken to an extreme, it's like, well, we haven't been treated as special, so now we're going to get ours. And it's, as you said, taken to a destructive and deadly extreme, right? And then in terms of the real world, right? Like, so what is the potentially the negative consequences of of um, putting too much importance on being the leader or being like the person who is, is you know, the one who is, um, I, I don't know, just like the face that's out there, right? Um, is anybody who's right. not that now going to feel like, oh, well, everybody wants to be the lead singer. Everyone yeah. wants to be Mick Jagger, but there's a drummer <laughs> in the band. Yeah. I don't know his name, um, <laughs> but there is a drummer uh, God, <laughs> and it's presumably gonna... <laughs> a bass player and a roadie. And I'm sorry, I don't know his name. I know. I was going to say it's going to um, kill me that I don't know because I try to know the names <laughs> of the drummers, you know, because Karina is a drummer. And so yes. I try to, um... she's, my, she's my favorite drummer. So <laughs> me, me too. It gets muddled because we do know tend to glorify not the team player but um the superstar or you know the steve jobs or right uh, and the bill gates or jeff bezos or you know pick your pick your billionaire who built his company in his garage but you know we don't mention that there's thirty thousand people working for them <laughs> you exactly. know building parts of their their empire but that doesn't mean that like everybody plays their role and so figuring out what your role is even if it's not in the spotlight or even if it's not the thing that's going to get attention on, you know, social media or whatever. Right. Like I feel like that is a more, at least in me, like that's more of an empowering message to just be like, yeah, like whatever you do, like that's the thing that you should focus on as opposed to like, and the thing that's more likely to lead to, you know, life satisfaction and happiness. Exactly. Right. And whatever success means to you. Right. Like, yeah, actually just being happy. Um, 
Um, but I do want to hear more about your thoughts on Mysterio and um, that scene, specifically the scene where he um, reveals who he who he really is. Not to Peter yet, but um, to the audience. And I'm also curious, I meant to ask this earlier, when you, you did watch this one with, with the kids, right? I did. I've, I've actually watched it like three, three times in the past, like, I don't know, month okay. <laughs> with yes. the kids. They okay. have very strong opinions. Um, yeah. Yes. Okay. I actually remember <laughs> I did talk with you guys about this because they have some toys with it. Okay. So did they, were they, did they have like background into it? Did you like talk to them beforehand or were they like shocked that Mysterio was a villain? I didn't talk to them beforehand, but oh, were they shocked? I don't know. I don't know if they were shocked. I, okay. I wish I had asked them now. I mean, they're seven, so they kind of take things at face value. Sure. I, I mean, as perceptive as they are, they were like, there are bad guys. And this guy who tricked Peter Parker is a bad guy, just like the guy who tricked um, Anna in Frozen is a bad guy. <laughs> right, right, right. So they, they understand deception. Yeah. And I, so I don't think they were totally blown away by it. Okay. Because I obviously, you know, if if you're going into it completely blind, like the first few scenes that Mysterio is in, he seems like a hero. So I would be curious. Yeah, he's if... unctuous and he's ingratiating and he's mm-hmm. trying to be nice. But I don't I don't think no, I don't think I don't know if they picked up on it. I'm gonna ask them tomorrow yeah. and it'll be interesting to see what they say. But um yeah, I don't remember like a, a big gasp knowing that like, oh my god, he's the bad guy. I can't believe it. <laughs> well, you I know what? Yeah. Like, yeah, he's the bad guy. It, it, it figures. What did you think about how they dealt with Mysterio and his motives and the employees? Oh, is oh, someone there? Shannon just walked in. Oh, hey Shannon. She's ruining our podcast. <laughs> now I'm curious though. I'm like, what was what were Shannon's comments? Oh, she picked up on the note when he uh, gets Edith, and it says, for the next Tony Stark. Well, there's no periods or commas. Yeah. Which, I mean, come on, Kramer, Tony. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think Tony would have been focused on that as much. (laughs) (laughs) A lot lot of people have concerns about, um, and I promise this is going to tie into what we're talking about, but nowadays... I hate saying that even. I hate being like, well, nowadays, right? Because like, whatever. But <laughs> always, always, right? Always, no, yeah. There's nothing new under the sun. Exactly. It's just maybe we're just aware of it in our little moment. Yeah. Always. Um, you know, people have concerns about putting themselves out there online, whether it be something like this, where it's like your voice is on a podcast recording. And while probably not that many people are going to listen to it, the fact that they could find it, right? And they could try to take something out of context. Yeah. I mean, my comments on Jake Gyllenhaal are definitely going to sink my future Senate campaign. (laughs) It's, it is scary. And, and the idea of, of, um, you know, our images are out there on these social media platforms. And then can those images be used forever right and then um if your voice is recorded and it's out there i think about what happens to peter parker in this movie and jumping ahead a little bit but in the um the the mid-credits scene where the news site has taken him saying execute them all out of context right and yeah making it sound like something else and i know um when we were that mid-credit scene was my i i think is um the entire reason to watch the movie yeah it's to say jake you know see jk simmons i don't care about spoilers (laughs) because it's awesome jk simmons come back as j jonas jameson so good right oh my god i mean he had he's the only one who could ever play that part it's perfect for it <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. But it's such a it's such a thing that could happen, right? Yeah. Like there's not there's nothing there's nothing superhero-y or fantastical about this. If someone's splicing up a, a video or a recording to say whatever the heck you want to say is totally within the realm of reality. And I mean mm-hmm. we see it with political advertising especially, but oh yeah. I mean there's there's sites and, and you know, I wouldn't call them news organizations, but you know, tabloid organizations that that thrive on that kind of thing. Right? So it's man, that scene gave me so much anxiety. <laughs> like, and I'd also like to point out that Homecoming and um, Far From Home also uh, end with the same expletive. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Definitely gets that from May. 
For, I mean, <laughs> clearly, I did want to ask you um, a little off topic, but not totally. Um, have you seen uh, the moon disaster? No. Right. So, so um, you know, it's been on my mind a lot. And I know I, I emailed you about this, um, the whole concept of deep fake technology. But there's this group at MIT that came out with um, this website. I think they actually released it at a couple of film festivals. They call it an art installation, but I think it's actually really a public service. And what they did is uh, during the Apollo 11 uh, mission to the moon, the president's staff had written up a speech in the event because i mean they're going to the moon for the first time but it was if it could happen that something went wrong wow. and the, the astronauts couldn't come back okay so this is public record so they have the speech so what they did is they got the speech and they um, had a uh, an actor read it and then they mm. use some very fancy AI technology to um, mimic Nixon's voice over this actor's voice so that it sounds like Nixon is saying these words. And then they took images of Nixon and they mapped it over this actor's face uh. and they make it look like Nixon is saying it. And you can go on and see a very slickly edited um, video where they're showing, you know, actual clips from, you know, the, the news you see walter cronkite you see the you know the spaceship lifting off you see newsreels and then they you know imply that something goes wrong and then you see nixon give this speech and Holy the God. idea is that can you tell that this is a fake and i would submit that unless you're looking for it it is very hard to tell that it is a fake yeah. and it is utterly terrifying I was going to say, and I'm it, so nervous even just listening to you describe this. Oh, my God. it was It's six minutes, and I knew exactly what it was, but I'm watching it, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is horrifying. Yeah. But it's really – it's you know, and, and nobody talks about it, but we really shouldn't be that surprised, right? Because right. I mean, if you go on Snapchat or you go on Instagram, there's filters, and people can change their faces, and you can swap your face with other people, and, yeah. oh, yeah, it's all in good fun, but – you know, there's some pretty bad people out there who want to do us harm and cause chaos and confusion. And um, I don't know, just make a little bit of money, really. Yeah. If you if you get the stock market to to jump a couple you know points in the right direction when you want it to, it becomes a serious concern. And I don't I don't know that anyone's really like. I mean, I don't think it's really in the, you know deep fake technology. Even the phrase deep fake, I don't know, is really mainstream, really. And I don't think you know our governments with you know the number of septuagenarians and octogenarians who maybe don't know this technology as well as some of yeah you know the younger parts of the population are really prepared to deal with it i mean it's really it's really scary it's the yeah. scariest six minutes on the internet right now yeah no that's terrifying i i had not heard about that and i really want to watch it when we're done with this conversation but then i also don't like i'm <laughs> i'm like fairly nervous like <laughs> listening to it um, so mysterio I mean, using technology that we think is fantastical, but I mean, in 20 years is a, you know, I don't, I, I feel like if I say it, I, I sound like an alarmist, but really in 20 years, is this kind of technology going to be that outlandish? Yeah. I mean, if you go to Disney, I went on the, oh, what the heck is the name of the ride? Uh, Flight of Passage, which is a totally like virtual reality. Oh, cool. Um, you know, it's, it's based on the Avatar universe. It's got the same 3D technology. So everything looks hyper real. Mm. They've got you suspended above, I mean, like a 180 degree IMAX screen. Oh, yes, you're being yes. kind of flung in directions. So you feel like you're flying. They're blowing wind in your face. They're spritzing water at you when you, you know, when animals splash you. And it is totally convincing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I hope I hope I'm not being too alarmist, but I think I think the scary thing about Mysterio is that he's he is um, an idea taken to its extreme, which is what yeah. all supervillains are, really, right? I mean, exactly. their grievance or anger or a slight taken to its utmost form, and Mysterio is no different. I mean, in the comics back in you know, the 60s, 70s, he was uh, he was using um special effects and robots now he's using drones and holographic imaging but i don't 
you know, the problem's not new. I think it's just becoming more accessible. And as it becomes more accessible, you know, when you have a writer who's give, feeding you lines and mm-hmm. you have a script and you can simulate damage, you know, that 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 is all, I hope, fantastical. But drone technology is not. Swarming drones, I don't think, are really a mainstream thing yet. But you could you could imagine a world where it's, I mean, technology advances so quickly that Absolutely. it doesn't seem like it's that far-fetched. Yeah, to me, I think what makes the villain of this movie um, particularly compelling for me is the fact that it does seem like it's something that's within the realm of reality. And in a way, like that makes it more uncomfortable and like I don't want to deal with it. So it's like this sort of ironic thing where this is the lighthearted movie that came after Endgame. And like, you know, there's really fun songs when they're on, you know, and there's montages on the airplane, the canals in um, in Venice. And But then at the same time, it's like, ugh, this makes me feel so uncomfortable because it's actually really topping, tapping into you a moment that's going on right now in terms of like, you know, what happens when, you know, especially if if the world is going through certain types of tragedies and this and that, like, well, what happens if somebody seizes on that moment and um, manipulates people who are feeling vulnerable? Um, or, you know, like, like, like you said, these technologies are real, <laughs> um, even if they're not necessarily accessible or mainstream. So, um, it's definitely it doesn't even need to be so extreme, right? Yeah, I mean, to be fooled. Um, splicing yeah. videos and splicing audio is as old as those technologies, yeah. you know, have been around. Yeah. Or you know, I, I mean, it, a more recent example comes to mind where if you slow down someone's speech, it sounds like they're drunk. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> that's not hard to do. No. Um, so I find myself, and maybe it's hyper vigilance i don't know but you know we watch movies like this and i i I find myself with my kids trying to explain that you know this isn't real this is fake this is how they make movies you know just because you saw it on a youtube video which they watch it doesn't mean it's real um there are ways to make things look different right which i think is why when you know my one son is always pointing out the music changes in the movie. It's like, oh, something dramatic's gonna happen. <laughs> it's like, well, you ruined it now because you said it. But yeah, you're right. <laughs> totally right. That's really cool that he's that he's noticing that. What I think is interesting, and it's also something that this movie does touch on, in my experience with teaching teens, they especially in, in recent years, you know, I teach social studies and one of the things that we have really tried to focus on as social studies teachers is trying to, you know, encourage kids and teach them how to be critical consumers of the media that's out there, right? So of course, you know, they're they're hearing from their teachers, they're hearing from parents, like, you know, you can't believe everything that you see, you can't believe everything that you read. And so I've I've seen, you know, kids kind of take that to an extreme too, where it's like, well, they don't really necessarily believe in authority or truth at all. <laughs> and <laughs> and I think that's really interesting. And that's something that's really a challenge as a teacher is to be like, well, no, 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 there are some things that are actually facts, right? <laughs> or like, or they're, you know, not every piece of information is equal, right? Um, you ha- There's things you need to consider. Um, but I think that's actually interesting. So this is a movie that's dealing with teenagers. And I think that actually comes up a couple of times because there's this moment where the character Brad is, um, you know, he's talking about how shady Peter is. And he says, um, is no one else interested in the truth? He's talking to his classmates and the teachers, <laughs> right. right? And then MJ gives the George Orwell quote, the very concept of objective truth is fading out, out of the world. And, um, and Peter Parker too, when he's, um, talking with mj and he's he's kind of trying to um say that he's not spider-man and he says you know well it was night monkey that's what it says on the news you know the news never lies and you know he knows (laughs) he knows that that's ironic right so i think it's kind of interesting like this movie um even when it's not dealing specifically with the character of mysterio and things coming out of mysterio's mouth which are the more heavy-handed things i think there's these small little moments that they're touching on that theme and um, and I think that's interesting. funny to say it to, to MJ too, of all people. <laughs> right. you, know, you know, flashes like uh, researching 
Mysterio, Mysterio just he's like, oh, it says blah blah blah. It's some experiment or something. I forget what he says, but her line is, "Oh, you believe everything you read on the internet?" Like she's the most skeptical person in the movie. I mean, you're <laughs> um, and I think that that it does that tracks to me of uh, about like, you know, maybe people who are more in my age bracket. It's a little bit different, but the people who are younger the the generation z so to speak right are i, I in my experience of, of working with them like tend to be very skeptical of authority of this idea of truth um you know in a world of like quote unquote fake news like how are we supposed to know what's real right so if you're being told well some of this stuff is not like so how do you figure it out so i, I do think it was um it made sense in this movie it's both the movie that's dealing with the post endgame world but it's also the movie that's dealing with teens. And I think it was kind of interesting to, to see that. Um, but I would like to hear your take on the very trippy Peter's Mysterio scene. Yeah. And I, I was trying to, I was trying to think if I had seen that somewhere before, I, I feel like that's not a, um, not an original scene or concept to Spider-Man. I feel okay. like, I feel like Batman is, done this probably a lot of superheroes have done it um you know batman always had uh oh god what was the guy's name the nightmare guy who gives you nightmares and oh scarecrow and... scarecrow thank you there was a whole there was i mean i remember from I, you know it's funny because i haven't watched them in like 25 years but the, the um, batman the animated series had this whole whole series where uh batman was trapped in a nightmare mm. orchestrated by scarecrow and I, I think Spider-Man has done something similar in the comics. And it and the story is how do you get out of it? Now it's like a quick cut, you know, action sequence, but and what a wild sequence too. I mean, the, the special effects, whoever came up with that, it was smoking something pretty cool. But um <laughs> <laughs> it was it's a really cool visually, really, really no, cool. It, scene. Visually it's it's really amazing. And I, I love that nothing in what he's seeing is what he thinks it is. Yeah. You know, even when he wakes up from the the vision, that's not real either. And that that's really scary. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's like kind of the ultimate nightmare is how do you know if you woke up from your dream? Right. Oh yeah. So, you know, he thinks he escapes and he's defeated um, Mysterio or I guess really that um, Fury has saved him from Mysterio, but that's not Fury. Uh, and he gets hit by a train. So how does he overcome this? He has to trust himself. That's a hard ask, right? Yeah. For anyone, you know, if you're being bombarded with all this misinformation and this, um, you know, images and thoughts and, you know, doubt and probably preying on Peter's own self-doubt. Yeah. And then he's got to trust himself, man. Yeah. I mean, that's the superhero part because I think that's hard for anybody. Absolutely. Especially after right after that moment of being being duped like that and and that voice in his head mysterious voice of like you know we were talking about fury kind of bullying him before but mysterio here is like really using this very um this very abusive language right like you're making me do this um you know fury always had to die but you didn't have to die but now you do right and like you told me this and like what does he say? He says, I don't even think you even know what's real and tells him to look at himself, right? You're a scared little kid in a sweatsuit. And it's like, those are all of Peter's insecurities right there. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and as you the said, the Iron too, Man zombie. Uh, oh, my God. Yeah. It's the worst. <laughs> yeah. Terrible, right? And this, this snow globe, too, that then becomes Mysterio's head. Like, those images are really trippy and really kind of scary um, in many ways. Um, very pink elephants right? yeah <laughs> yes the pink elephants on parade and the uh what was the the heffalumps and woozles <laughs> oh absolutely oh my god the heffalumps and woozles i'm gonna have nightmares thanks thank you <laughs> sorry well i have to think about moon disaster now so <laughs> <laughs> moon disaster is gonna freak you out it's yeah. all right. <laughs> six minutes oh, terrifying boy. in my okay. um um you know, intensive watch of this movie. I um, started seeing things everywhere and I found myself trying really hard to read what the kids t-shirts said. 
Oh. And I thought it was a message, but no, it's just it's just really cool t-shirts. Oh, okay. Like um, his one t-shirt says "Find X," and he just circle. It's like you know, it's a Pythagorean triangle. And it's, <laughs> oh yeah, and then it's just X is circled. Yeah. Right, right. And, uh, <laughs> MJ MJ's vote for women. It's a good one. Oh yes. Um, but then the shirt, the shirt at the end that Peter's wearing. If you believe in telekinesis, raise my hand. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> I also, I'm just going through my notes. If there's anything else I wanted to mention while we're recording, um, I did really like the scene on Happy's ship where Peter is like, it's really nice actually. Like Peter is, is getting this control over designing the suit. Right. And that's something that he hasn't since the sweatsuit, he hasn't really had, right. He's been getting these suits from Tony. So he's like, you know, and and he does, you know, it's reminiscent of Tony Stark working in his lab and doing his thing. And then, um, that you know back in black is playing which is a nice throwback to iron man and then he's just like yeah i love led zeppelin (laughs) (laughs) the um scene on the bridge with mysterio when he gets edith back execute them all i thought that was a nice callback to iron man 3 clean slate protocol yeah do it ah it's so much there's so much in this movie and that's it's just yeah better on the rewatch all right. Well, thank you. This was awesome. I, I really enjoyed talking with you about, about this movie. I've been looking forward to it for a while because we talked ages ago about you coming on to the podcast and I've really been looking forward to it. And um, I, you know, I'm glad that it ended up being this movie too, because I really like the insight you shared about uh, some of the technology. Well, thanks. It's been, it's been very fun. I, I, I'm honored, honestly. <laughs> If you enjoyed this episode and this season of There Was an Idea, you can find me at anidea underscore podcast on Twitter and Instagram. Artwork was designed by Brooke Pender, who you can follow on Instagram at bpenderillustrations. Music by Demetra Salvia, who you can check out on Bandcamp. Once again, thank you for listening and join me next season as I explore even more MCU films through concepts in the humanities.